Well, a happy Tuesday, everyone, and welcome into another edition of This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, along with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, and my co-host, Joe Vitale, as we bring you two hours of hockey content and kick off an entire week of hockey content here on 101 ESPN, as, of course, we have tomorrow night the Behind the Bench show presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. You'll hear from Red Berenson. Thursday and Friday, play Gloria, but plenty of hockey conversation for you along the way. And tonight, we have a fun, jam-packed show. We're going to hear from Scott Perunovic, the new Hobie Baker Award winner and the St. Louis Blues defenseman. We will catch up with Zach Sanford. You'll hear from Tom Stillman. You'll hear a little conversation between Jordan Bennington, Joe Buck, and John Hamm. And, of course, we have round three of Chris Kerber against Joe Vitalian. Fellas? Okay, question. Yep, here we go. I got a question. We got to start this. Already. Uh, Joe, I know is uh, for the Blues website today, you – uh, you interviewed Scott Perunovic. Now, I said Perunovic. I said Ick. He just said Perunovic. And, and I know you asked the question to him, so let's start with that as you're cutting your flowers. What... <laughs> What uh, how, What is the correct pronunciation for uh, for the name? Better flowers than cheese, Joe. Yes, exactly right. Guys, it's Perunovic. Yeah, I started the conversation okay. today, and, and this is... Uh, I learned a hard lesson. I go, you should always ask how to pronounce your name before you start it. And I didn't. And I was right in the interview, and I said, you know what? I'm not going to sit here for the next 16 minutes and mispronounce his name. So I just flat out asked him, and uh, he said it's Perunovich, like okay. cheese or cheddar or chunky with a C-H. Now, did you say Perunovic uh, as a mistake or because that's how you thought the name was sound? So, as a mistake. As a mistake. Okay, yes. now that happens all the time. We, we, we all do that. Oh, yeah. So the very first time, so the Blues draft Alex Petrangelo with the fourth overall pick. All right? And... And and as they draft him with the fourth overall pick, there's three guys. So the Blues are having a a draft party, right? And they're showing the TSN coverage on the big video board at Enterprise Center. A couple thousand people in there. You throw draft parties when your team stinks. If you if you're drafting late in the first round, you don't throw draft parties. All right. So I'm watching, and between Bob McKenzie, it might have been. James Duthie, and it might have even also been Pierre Maguire. Not exactly sure the other. But anyway, there was three panel, and all three people said Petrangelo's name differently. <laughs> all of them did. One gave it a Peter Angelo. One gave, I think, gave it a Petrangelo. One gave it a Petra Angelo. Okay. Okay, so much to your point. So we get Alex on the phone, and I'm interviewing him via phone, and we're pumping it through the speakers. At, uh, at Enterprise Center, well, then uh, Scott Trade Center at the time. So I just flat out asked, very first question like you did, Joe, I just said, how do you say your name? And that's when he said Petrangelo. So, there you go. Yeah, you just got to throw it out there. You know the one I've never heard is Pytrangelo. Well, his the dad. The funniest one we heard, Curves, was at the White House. Yeah, that was Perchangelo. I'll never forget it. Perchangelo. Hey, speaking of Scott Perunovic, there are two other Hobie Baker Award winners that have played for the St. Louis Blues. Do you know their names? That have played. Okay, so Tony Herkus is one. The other Hobie hmm. Baker Award winner that played. That played for the St. Louis Blues. Collegiate. Oh, uh, Paul Correa. Paul Korea. It's got to be Paul Okay, well, yeah, I didn't even think of that one, so there's another one. Oh. I didn't even think of that one. Uh, is it, can you give me their position? Jeez, I thought it was, was a doing forward. pretty good by pulling that forward. one out. I don't, I, don't, I don't believe he was drafted by the Blues, but he was a, he was a forward. So he's a, he's a forward. Um, he was a 2000s, I believe. So Marty Reasoner didn't win it, right? Mm -hmm. No, but he was a Blues draft pick anyway. Mm -hmm. And he played in the Lee early 2000s? Nope. It was Peter Sena. Oh, 
Peter Sena was a Hobie Baker Peter winner? Peter Sena was a Hobie Are Baker. Are serious? Peter Sena was a Hobie Boy Baker Award winner. I wouldn't look that Peter up. say what? I wouldn't look that back Dude, up the I other would, day. I would have been guessing from now until the start of the 2030 hockey season before I came up with that one. So, so when I looked that one up, I'm like, okay. But then I went down this rabbit hole For and I who? went back. Uh, I went back and looked up. Um, he was with. Who did he play? Oh, well, obviously I should look at his college that he played. Colorado College. Played three years. He had 82 points his final season in 42 games. Was he a Blues draft pick? So he wasn't drafted by the Blues, but I think he was a— But but he signed. We didn't take him from anybody. I think he was a college free agent. Because yeah. his first game was That's with right. the St. Louis Blues, yeah. but he wasn't drafted. But he wasn't drafted. That's ah. a, I just thought that was so fascinating. So as we get into this, and we'll talk more about Scott Perunovich, gentlemen, but uh, I want to start with, I guess, the news from around the NHL that we found out uh, earlier today, or I guess earlier this week, that they're going to continue this quarantine for NHL players. They're going to extend it, which was supposed to end tomorrow. Yeah, so, I mean, and that's not much of a surprise. I, I think what the challenge that sports teams and leagues have right now is there is still hope from the NBA and the NHL standpoint and MLB for that matter, that their seasons are either going to a get started or B get continued. Um, and, and MLS, we, we should throw them in there as well. Okay. So, so there's that hope, but to do that, the players and the participants are going to have to be smart. And to be smart means you're just going to have to self-quarantine yourself as best as can. So when they say, we think there's a chance within the next week and a half to two weeks to get things going, to be able to do that without a shredded out in my mind, I think some level of testing is going to have to be available to test all the players. They obviously, and, and, and again, now this is not inside knowledge. This is just using some level of common sense. In order to do that, these guys have to be smart. And you, by, by self-quarantining and self-isolating, they're giving themselves the best chance to just stay healthy throughout this so when they can get going, the majority of them can get going. So I'm I'm not at all surprised that that got extended to April 30th, Joe, nor am I going to be surprised when it gets extended a little while beyond April 30th. I, I agree, Curb. So we talked about testing a little bit last week on This Week in Hockey. And to me, it all begins and ends with that word that starts with a T. It's got to come down to testing because even if you play games that you televise without fans, which is probably inevitably the first step, you still have to make sure that the 20 players from both teams, the coaching staff, the broadcasters, whoever's in the building recording, you got to make sure that entire group, entire group is, is healthy. And you can't guarantee that until you figure out the testing. So until testing really comes out and, and shows that, uh, player X had it. Now he is immune. He has the antibodies for it. Player B has never had it, but he's healthy. He doesn't have it. Uh, he could get it, but he doesn't have it. So until all that information comes out, you can't even get the players on their own team together to even train at that point. So that's got to be step number one, testing. Once you have that figured out or at least set up in that kind of structure, then the team know, hey, we can get together. We can be safe. And then from there, it continues to build. I, I think this pushing it back means that we will not see any hockey probably in May. I think June at this point now is probably the earliest, even if, if it's then when we see hockey. Well, and you're starting to get into the conversations now of if there's going to be a season and what the repercussions are going to be if there is no season. And people have talked about it's been in the news, it's been in the media about what it's going to do to the salary cap, what it's going to do to some teams. Here's Pierre Maguire, courtesy of Pittsburgh Radio, uh, talking about those stipulations. It's going to be a major problem. You've got teams that the cap could drop anywhere from 25 to 40 percent. That's significant. 
<laughs> that's significant. I, I won't tell you the team, but you can figure it out if you go look. I just don't want to throw any fuel on the fire. But there's a team that has five players signed that would, if it dropped 35%, would be over the cap. I mean, not over the cap. Half their cap would be eaten up by five players. I don't know how you ice a team that way. Well, I can already think of some of those players or the teams okay. that he's talking about. Yeah, Toronto, but Chicago okay. too. First off, uh, thanks to uh, the radio station ninety three point seven, the fan in Pittsburgh, uh, credit for for that sound. They did the interview now. So coming up later later on in this hour in our third segment. So right about oh, uh, right about thirty, right about six thirty or so. Uh, we're going to air part of the interview I did over the weekend with Tom Stillman. And, and we, we do talk about these. I, I can tell you this. this. This is what we know for an absolute fact. These specific scenarios, when they get under their board of governor calls, have not been ironed out or talked about in any great specif- uh, specificness because they just don't really know the scenario. All right, so if anybody's saying, oh, the league is looking at this, the league is looking at that, yes, they are. But I can tell you that it has not gotten to the owners at a level of this is a real scenario to consider just yet. Um, Now, having said that, Joe, look, as far as a month ago, the league was moving ahead where it looked like, based on how they did the calculations, that the salary cap was going to actually go up to about $84 The way that this is going to – they're going to end up having to pick a number. And Tom Stillman mentions that in the interview that we did. Okay, it's not going to necessarily come out of thin air. But also, uh, Donald Fear mentioned this in the interview that he did on the podcast uh, with, with Pierre Lebrun and Scott Burnside. They're going to just have to pick a number. There is no way that they are going to pick a number where the salary cap is going backwards. Now, how they're going to have to negotiate player escrow is a different story. But the reason that I say that is because there's no team in the National Hockey League that could be prepared for that situation where everything up to a month ago you're planning on a $4 million cap increase to all of a sudden a 20 to 40% decrease in the cap. That's not realistic. So there is just no way that they're going to use the same CBA calculations to calculate the, the, to calculate the, the, the salary cap. That also means that there's just going to still need to be a lot of negotiating and things worked out between the PA and the league when it comes to the cap and escrow on how they're going to maneuver through the next 18 months to try and get things as equitable as they can. Well, and if you're players like Roman Yossi, I mean, you're, you're obviously grateful for the timing of your contract versus an Alex Petrangelo, just for an example. So uh, every player is being affected by this uh, in a negative way. Uh, Curve, you know, to me, did, did he say anything about the timing? Did, I know we're going to talk about it in a little bit, but did Tom Stillman talk about the timing as far as when they need to pick that number? No, uh, and, and that's and that's exactly what, what he said. The thing is, is no, it they they, they don't know. The, the only thing that was sure was if they had not have canceled the Olympics, then you were probably looking at a drop-dead date of July 23rd because, because there's from no a TV NBC. standpoint. Uh, right. That opening up has really extended opportunities for the league. So, no, that is that is all part of the multitude of unintended consequences and decisions that still has to be made. Yeah, to me, I mean, that, that that's going to say a lot because you're trying to crunch so much in. Uh, you know, I, I would just hate to be a general manager right now. I mean, here you are trying to figure out, can you get into the playoffs? If you get into the playoffs, what does that look like? You're trying to win a game. Some teams, as we mentioned last week, uh, who don't have head coaches, they're still dealing with interim head coaches. And then the whole salary cap issue with signing players. And, uh, you know, Curve, you sent an article out to uh, me earlier today about the youth and hockey and how it's really 
taken over since the last couple lockouts, meaning because uh, you can't necessarily afford to have all these veterans that are demanding all this money. That's going to be an interesting aspect as well with this salary cap dropping even more next season. Uh, does that make way for even more youth to come up? Guys who are going to be playing for the league minimum under a million bucks versus guys that are making $3.5, million. You got to look at a player like Alexander Steen. I believe he's making around five. Uh, does, does that really kind of put a hiccup in, in him as far as next season when you're looking at it from a whole is, is can we afford to have a player like this in our lineup right now? There's always the chance, the way the CBA is written, that the salary cap could go backwards. It's based on hockey-related revenue. If the hockey-related revenue drops, then using the calculations that were negotiated upon, it would do. But nobody could see this. Right. It would be grossly unfair, and it would send such the wrong message to the Players Association, it says this is the way we're going. And you have to keep this in mind, too. There was this year and there's next year remaining on the current CBA because both sides were making enough progress to go ahead and neither side decided to open up the negotiation, negotiation or, or reopen up a new CBA and end the one, which was their option prior to this past season. So I, I don't see it working that way just from a labor peace standpoint overall doesn't mean that there aren't going to be any hard negotiations doesn't mean that there aren't going to be any hard decisions that have to be made doesn't mean that there aren't some things that are going to be fair and unfair on both sides but i don't see that being such a stead hard fast thing happening because the, the worst part about that too if you're an owner i don't think if you're an owner you want that to happen anyway because how are you going to like you said you look at when you look at the National Hockey League and realize that over fifty percent of the teams are within a million bucks or two of the salary cap, you're gonna handcuff tons of teams with that scenario. I don't see them doing it that way as well. Well, we'll hear from Tom Stillman at about six thirty tonight as we continue here on this week in hockey. But coming up next, we will catch up with Zach Sanford, number twelve who is having a superb season before it was postponed. So we'll get to that next here on This Week in Hockey on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Well, welcome back into This Week in Hockey. Glad to have you with us. Chris Kerber, Alex Ferrario, Joey Vitale joining us as we do every single week. This Week in Hockey comes your way from 6 to 8 p.m. on Tuesday. Still plenty to talk about, plenty to find out, plenty to learn about. And we're uh, pleased to be joined now by St. Louis Blues forward Zach Sanford. Uh, Zach, uh, how are you hanging in, bud? You doing okay? Yeah, doing all right. It's... Uh... Definitely a lot of different lifestyle when you're sitting at home all day, every day, rather than playing games and being on the road. But I'm hanging in there. Hey, Zach, uh, how much Boston chowda have you eaten in the last three weeks? I know you're back in Boston. I actually haven't had any yet. Um, I don't know. I've been keeping it pretty basic still, but uh, I'm going to have to add that to the list of must-haves for when it becomes available. So, Zach, I'm assuming you've been locked in the house because that's what everybody's been doing, and I'm assuming you're binge-watching Netflix. Have you been caught up in the Tiger King pandemonium? Oh, yeah, I watched that whole thing. How fast did you watch uh, it, though? Probably <laughs> uh, in, like, two or three days. Watched the whole thing and decided whose side I was on. Okay, well, whose side were you on? That's important. Uh, well, maybe I didn't decide while I was doing playing it, but um, I think uh, Carol Baskins is definitely in the wrong there based off what I've seen on Instagram and, and 
you know, watching the show and putting everything together, I think it's uh, I think she's the one in the wrong. So, so he's on the same side, guys, as Craig Berube. Mm. Is that what he said too? Yeah, it's Berube said Carol Baskin did it without question. <laughs> yeah, for sure. He seems, he seems too nice. Uh, All right, that's it. I'm watching an episode of it between now and next week's show. You still haven't watched this, Curbs? Okay, I just told you, I'm I'm studying physics right now. Oh, this is the polar opposite of (laughs) physics, right, Zach? Yeah, definitely. No, no, I don't. Listen, in all honesty, guys, I I, I was talking to Christy last night about this, and and she, of course, she's still trying to figure out the e-learning part, and and they're do, watching. I'm telling you what, watching these teachers do what they're doing online for the kids is really phenomenal, uh, really, really phenomenal. But having said that, they uh, like, I'm, I'm like the day is getting done, and I look at Chris and go, where? What happened today? Where'd it go? Like, I mean, trying to play in radio shows, do these other things too, and I'm going. I, I feel like I'm almost just as dizzy right now as. Is when the difference was I can't hide at a restaurant on the road or find my favorite pub on the road that, and I can't even go to my favorite pub here in town right now, as we try to help out. Zach Sanford, kind enough to join us here on the program. Zach, how are you guys just being kept up to date with everything in the discussions, whether it be more directives from the league or from a hockey ops department? Is it is it a regular email? Are there discussions happening that you know people just keep you aware of? Yeah, I mean all the all the boys on the team are. In- in a group chat so everyone kind of keeps updated that way and then um the pa has been putting on some conference calls that you're able to join in on to you know hear what they're thinking and what our options are and what's going to happen so um other than that it's kind of just sitting and waiting and seeing what the possibilities are having said that uh, real quickly here like i had a chance to interview tom stillman over the weekend and even from a board of governors standpoint and i listened to an interview that pierre lebrun had done with um you know, with with Donald Fear, the head of the of the Players Association, he did one with Bill Daly as well. And the reality of it is, is no matter what scenario, I, my sense act is there's no real one scenario that anybody could really discuss in detail because until we get more clarity of just timing and what's going to be allowed from the governments and 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 the different municipalities, everything else is really on hold. Is is that essentially the message that you're being told uh, from a Players Association standpoint? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of exactly that. You know, you don't really know what's going to happen or, you know, when the government's going to allow certain things and, and uh, even when this is going to end or, you know, start to really get better. So it's a lot of just sitting around and waiting and, you know, listening to every new rumor of every day and finding out what's going to happen. Zach, what are you doing from a, a day-to-day basis from, I guess, from just keeping in shape, you know? I mean, I, I maybe not so much physically, but... You know, how are you mentally staying engaged uh, from an emotional standpoint, given everything that's going on? Because, I, I mean, I, if I've, I've experienced a couple of lockouts where you're just kind of waiting, waiting, waiting. How do you emotionally kind of stay sharp that at any day this could change, given that we've seen nothing but bad news? Um, I don't know if I have an exact answer to that, but, um, you know, the home workouts are pretty tough and, you know, I've been trying to go for some runs and stuff and stay in shape physically that way. And, um, you know, I don't think anybody's really experienced anything like this where, you know, you're locked down at your home for so long and you don't know what's going to happen, like we've said. So I don't know if I have an exact way to stay mentally sharp or anything like that, but uh, I guess it's just a learning process. 
Zach, do you have – can you give us some perspective? Because I know, as Joe mentioned, you went back home uh, to New England, for, you know, obviously for a while. And each region, each area is dealing with different aspects and maybe at different points on the curve of uh, of this. Just, just what are things like right now back where you are and, and, and how are things – like what's your general feel for what's going on there? Uh, it's pretty quiet. I mean, there's still people outside walking around and, and going to grocery stores, obviously, but, um, you know, most of the restaurants here are shut down and, um, stores are all shut down and I think it's pretty similar to most places, but, um, I was surprised to see how many people are outside at like the park and biking around and walking their dogs still. And, um, but I guess there's nothing you can do about that and, the dog's got to walk. The dog's got to go for a walk, right? Zach, I'm curious on the eating angle of this one because have you become like an extraordinary cook out of this since you're home all the time, or are you still just trying to find ways to uh, get as much food from the outside world as possible? Uh, there's one place right by me I've kind of – I think I've had lunch almost every day. And then as far as dinners go, my, my girlfriend does most of the work, but I try to help out a little bit and maybe take some notes and – Maybe I'll get better someday. <laughs> okay, I got a new one. I, I just bought this. Okay, and and so tonight I might even try it with scouts. I, I've, if you know where the sous vide is, have you seen these things? Okay, no, it's too fancy that? for me, All right. Curbs. All right, no, actually, Joe, Alex, this is right up for you. Okay, it's sous vide. S S O U S is the first word. V I D E is the second one. And what it basically is is it. You put this thing in in a in a pot in a, in a bin of water, and it heats the water up and it circulates it. And you, you put the food in like an airtight Ziploc bag, or if you have like a vacuum sealer. So let's say you're cooking a steak, and you want that steak at like a perfect medium, 140 degrees. It won't overcook because it keeps it at 140. So it basically heats it around, and then you take it out of the, the you take it back out when it's done cooking on the timer, which is real simple and easy to use. You sear it. You know, on your grill or whatever, if you really like the grill marks, and, and you go to town. But it's it's making cooking extraordinarily easy with certain aspects, and you can cook just about anything in it. So it's a sous vide is, is what they call it. It's I check. It, I think anybody that's going to be cooking on their own should check this one out. It's like a, does it cook like it's on a grill? No, no. You would so what you would do like like take a fillet for example or strip steak. You put it in a put it in a baggie. All right, get the air out of it, which you can use the water technique. I'll explain that to Alex later on. Okay, but and then, or, or you know, you, you vacuum seal it with a vacuum sealer if, if you have one of those. And you basically just put it in the water in this, this, it looks like a tube. It just heats the water up and it circulates it and it cooks it to the perfect temperature. And I mean, you can leave it in there for an extra hour and a half and it's still going to be just fine. It's going to keep it right there at that temperature. So it, 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 it it's not a grill. It's actually kind of like cooking things in water. And then you would take it out of the bag throw it on your grill for like a minute on each side to really sear the flavor in there and whammo it's fantastic mm. that hmm is i'm gonna stick to the grill i'm gonna stick to the grill curves it's it's an easy step when you can't can't fire the whole thing up now correct me if i'm wrong here zach you can you can go on whatever angle you'd like here but it seems like you're wasting more time cooking it in the water before you put it on the grill than just putting it on the grill and cooking it I didn't even think of that, but I think you're right on that part. Yeah, uh, well, Zach, 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 seems like a lot of extra steps rather than just throwing it on the grill and letting it cook. 
That's that's a fair point. If if you don't, if you have the grill that's right there, yes, this is another way to cook yeah, it, it easier. Right? What you're cooking, I Correct. Yeah. Curbs, if you're ever a professional chef, is that going to be your keyword? Whammo. I, I listen. I oh no, that's <laughs> stolen. You can't. Uh, that's um, no wham is emerald. Oh, no, that's okay. No, well, it's you bam. Can't, it's bam. It's bam. Oh, yeah, it's bam. Uh, yeah, whammo. There you go, I, Curbs. I, I don't know that I could do that. Hey Zach, one of the things that we are doing here on the radio station <laughs> is is uh, replaying some of the, the playoff games from from a season ago. Um, and, and I know you've been asked this question a lot, but I, I actually hadn't had a chance to sit down and watch some of the games. So with all the different networks replaying them, I've seen some of the games now from a different perspective than what it was from up in the booth when, when Joe and I when Joe and I were calling it. That that game seven up up in Boston and and scoring the goal that you did when you did it. How much time have you kind of looked back and just kind of the thrill of that moment of scoring in that game, in that building, in that city, and what it all meant? Uh, yeah, I think about it a lot. I mean, a lot of people ask me about that, especially when I come home. And um, it's pretty crazy. I think I said it before, but it's crazy how, you know, that whole flash season played out and, you know, being able to get that goal in that final game. And like you said, at the time it was to kind of, you know, seal the win, and um, you know it was pretty special. Obviously, scoring a game seven, let alone you know, kind of in your hometown, and and with everything that happened last year, it's uh, you know definitely something I'll never forget, and, and something I'll never stop thinking about. So, what did you do? What was the important step that you took from series one against Winnipeg? where Craig Brewery had you start that series and took you out of the lineup for a little bit, and then to the the final. What what did you learn about what it was going to take to be successful in the playoffs during that stretch? Um, You know, I think I just brought my intensity level up. I think, you know, in the first couple games, I don't know how ready I was for, or, you know, how expecting I was of how intense it was going to be. And, um, you know, after getting to sit down and watch a couple of rounds of playoffs and realizing what goes into that and the effort and the physicality and, you know, how prepared you have to be for every shift. It's, uh, I think realizing that and, and talking to some other guys and, you know, talking to the coaches definitely helped me realize that intensity I needed to bring in the finals. And um, I was able to do it, I think. Hey, Zach, I just hope that you're as hot as a – was it a Stuvli machine, Kerbs? I hope he's as hot as that. Suvida. Yeah. Suvida. Because, Zach, I mean, you were on a tear this season. From a, a points perspective, I mean, you were such a bright spot all throughout January, February. Is that something that when this thing gets back going, it just automatically carries over? Are you going to continue the hot streak, or is that something you got to build back up? Um – I think I'm going to have to build it back up a little bit. I mean, obviously, it's. I think I found, really found my game there in January in the last month or two of what we played this season. So, I think, you know, I think that was kind of carried over from last year. I really found my game, figured it out, started playing a lot more physical and, and with a lot more intensity. And um, I was rewarded for that. So, I think, you know, maybe it'll come right back. It's more of a mental for me, I think, in that aspect. So we'll have to, uh, you know, see what happens when we get going again. Well, Zach, uh, we're all in this thing together, uh, cooking our own different ways through it, apparently, but we will find ways to get there. <laughs> thanks uh, thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time. Please stay safe, and we look forward to getting you back here and, uh, and seeing you back in St. Louis real soon, man. Thanks a bunch for your time today. Yeah.
Thanks for having me. You guys stay safe, too, and hopefully I'll see you soon. All right, you got it, Zach. Hang in there, bud. Thank you, sir. All right, take care. All right, that is Zach Sanford. We'll take a quick break. More to come on This Week in Hockey when we come back on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey 101 ESPN. Well, welcome back into This Week in Hockey. Glad to have you with us, with you from uh, until 8 o'clock tonight, along with Joe Vitale. I'm Chris Kerber, Alex Ferrari alongside as well. Coming up still later on in the program, you're going to hear from Scott Perunovich as Joe Vitale had a chance to catch up with him. We bring you a cut from Jordan Bennington talking with uh, Joe Buck and John Hamm and a lot more as well. Coming up in our next segment, we're going off the rails here. What have we learned uh, each and every week uh, while we're kind of stuck at home? But earlier on the weekend, I had a chance to sit down and have a chat with Blues Chairman Tom Stillman. Now, the interview in its entirety is up on stlouisblues.com by a video chat, so we encourage you to log on and watch that. But here's a segment from that interview and things that our Blues owner had to say just about where things sit from a team and league standpoint. You know, I guess I'd say I'm doing all right. Uh, family is healthy, uh, so I'm very thankful for that. Um, you know, stopping the season was was a tough blow for uh, everybody in the organization, um, and I'm sure our fans feel the same way. Um, but uh, we're hopeful that we can resume play in some fashion, um, and you know, we'll, we just we have to see see what the health authorities say, see when things can open up. We hope we can, but we're going to first. You know, be sure that we're taking care of the health and safety of the people in the organization and our fans. What what, what has this been like for you? Um, I, I'd have to say I'm getting a little stir crazy. You know, uh, you know, we, I think I would in any event in, in something like this. But you know, when you you stop play and you're uh, first in the Western Conference and um, playing well at the right time of year um that that can that can drive you a little nuts but uh we're just trying to stay positive um keep focused on you know what we can do and if and when we get to play and again just focused on the on the health and safety of our families the organization everybody what has the process been like going through this and hearing from the league, the conference calls, the updates, the thought processes, the planning uh, for unknown scenarios, I guess would be the best way to put it. But overall, what, what, what have you experienced through that? You know, it's funny when it, when the epidemic really started to take hold, you know, and, but before the NBA made its announcement. I was, you know, okay, it, it's a problem, but I didn't, I didn't think it necessarily was going to get to us. And then it was very sudden that it did. Things changed over a day or two. You know, the NBA made its announcement. I think that made it impossible for other leagues not to do the same. Um, and it, it just, it turned so quickly. You know, and, and since then, it's it's a lot of dealing with uncertainty. I mean, even the, you know, Board of Governors calls, and this, nobody can know. I, I know that Gary and the league are working day and night on various options, what we can do, what will work, what won't. Um, but everything is um, through a filter of uncertainty. We, we, we don't know. Um, what's going to happen, 
when we might be able to play, you know, what format it might take. You know, sports, as you mentioned, the NBA kind of got the ball rolling, you know, in terms of uh, some of the leagues canceling really worldwide. Uh, sports has really taken a lead in this, I, I think, from a, a very public standpoint. Do you get the sense and feel that sports will also take a leading role coming out of this? Yeah, it's a good question. I agree that sports did take a lead role in kind of stepping up and closing things down and supporting the social distancing and all the things that we need to do. Um, leading the way out of it, I, I'm not sure that we will be in a position to do that because our businesses, you know, by their very nature, mean bringing a lot of people together in close, close proximity. And I, I would think that, you know, the first steps out of the social distancing and all the other things will be more moderate steps, allowing people into small shops, people into you know, small gatherings, but not, you know, in, with some space. So I, I'm not sure that we are going to be in the position to lead the way out. Now, if, if, if it's, either the NHL or other sports decide to start by playing uh, games without fans, then I, I think we have a, we may be able to be in the lead a little bit more, but not, you know, in the form that we're all used to. A month ago, a thought like that probably would have seemed so far-fetched and not even something on the radar worth considering. A month later, as you said, this this has changed so much and so often. Are thoughts like that and, and pretty much just about anything on the table in terms of how to jumpstart things when the opportunity is there? I think so. And you're right. You know, it was unthinkable, what, three, four weeks ago when I first heard of, of teams in the, I think it was the Swiss League that first started playing games with no fans. I, I, it was just astounding. And here we are, that, that, that's a real option. Um, I, I don't know whether it will go that way. Nobody should take anything I say to be any suggestion that I know what route we're gonna go. I mean, the league doesn't know at this point and, and they can't know, so I, I, I don't know. Um, but where it was unthinkable, now I, I tend to think that, well, at least you're giving fans you know, the game, the excitement of the game, and you're giving the, you know, our fans and probably beyond our fans something to focus on, something that's fun at a time that's, you know, kind of bleak and people are sitting around and, and really dying to have games to watch. So, you know, I, I don't think it's out of the question, but again, I, I, I don't know that that option is any more likely than anything else. Hey, how hard is it, Tom, as uh, an owner, as a leader, as a steward of the franchise, as you uh, like to say, how hard is this to go through? Well, you know, I, I can't say it's been fun or easy. Um, but at the same time, you can't, you can't sit around and, uh, and pout about it either. You know, this is this is our situation, and we have to move forward and make sure that we're ready to play. 
if and when we play, and we'll certainly be playing next season and maybe this season. And we have to do the things to protect our business. And um, I know Doug Armstrong and his group are going full speed ahead on the draft and you know all, all the things that they they normally do this time of year. Chris Zimmerman and the business side, you know, they, they have to keep on top of things and keep pushing things forward. So it's, you know, it's not easy for anybody. Um, even though people aren't at the office, I, I know, I, I know both Doug and Chris and, and the people under them are, are working hard. Um, but uh, I, I guess the most difficult thing I think is the uncertainty. You know, it, it's, are we going to play or we're not going to play? And, and also this feeling that, you know, we're the defending champs and we, we are playing well and we've assembled this team and we have this window and, you know, now we want to make the most of it. So that, that's a little frustrating. You know, sports has had a way over the years to unify and we saw what winning that Stanley Cup did to this city, did to this region. We saw the amazing celebration, the parade, uh, the, the, the party underneath the arch um, and, and just what it's been like since. Uh, is, is this another opportunity for the St. Louis Blues to continue to unify through their messaging? Yeah, I think it is. And, and that's what, um, Chris and Steve Chapman and Randy Gersh and, and, and a lot of people have been working on. You know, we have a lot of community initiatives going, you know, just, just got involved in this Light It Blue, you know, honoring healthcare workers and others who are working through uh, all the, 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 the pandemic. Um, and, and we do see it as an opportunity to, to connect with the community, help unify the community, just like our win did last year. I, I think that's something that we always want to be able to do, and it, it's even more important right now. Yeah, the, the role of the St. Louis Blues in the community is something that has been at the front of your mission statement from day one, hasn't it? It has. I think that's part of, uh, of being a, a major league sports franchise, um, and in, especially in a market like this. We're a, I, I don't know, we're a, a, a town that, that comes together and really bonds with its um, – with its franchises and other things that are important in the community. So it's, it's an important part of our role. You know, as we've always said, the community supports us well, and uh, we want to do that in return. Well, that is the chairman of the St. Louis Blues, Tom Stillman. And again, uh, for the rest of that chat that I did with him over the weekend, you can go ahead and log on to stlouisblues.com or the Blues app to check it out. When we come back... You learn some interesting things when you're stuck around the house all day. What have we learned? It's next on This Week in Hockey. Well, welcome back into This Week in Hockey. Chris Kerber, Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario with you. And again, uh, if you want to hear the entire interview with Tom Stillman, we just played an excerpt from you, but the entire interview is a video chat, and it's online at stlouisblues.com. Coming up next hour, you're going to hear from, uh, well, we're going to talk some coaches. Uh, we're going to talk – uh, to Scott Perunovich, you're going to hear from Jordan Bennington. A whole lot coming up in the second hour of the show as well. Plus, uh, we've got Curbs versus Joey, Alex's game of the week. He picked a good one this week, actually. So looking forward to playing that one. All right, so listen, we're going a little off of the topic of hockey here in this segment, folks. Uh, when you're home, when you're doing e-learning, when you're working with your kids, 
and doing all those different things, you kind of find yourselves talking about stuff, looking up different things. You learn different things. So whether it's a fact that we've learned or some life lessons that we learned, uh, we're going to make this a weekly part of our show. And, and I got to think even when the season goes, this should be part <laughs> of it. What have we learned this week? So uh, let's just start going around the horn. Joe Vitale, you start. What have you learned this week? Well, I tell you what, boys, the other night we're watching a show. We do it every night with the kids. Last A couple nights ago at Sandlot. I think a big old yawn. My son next to me, Harper, he starts to yawn. And he goes, Dad, did I just yawn because you just yawned? I go, yeah, you did. He goes, are yawns contagious? I yeah, they are. He goes, why? I said, I have no freaking idea, but let's check it out. <laughs> so we did all this research. Tell you what, long story short, 200,000 years ago, okay, Homo sapiens, they didn't have language. They couldn't communicate things through words. If it was a hunt, it was a signal with the hand. If it was uh, eat, you made the motion with your hands. When it was time to sleep, they started to yawn. So why they believe yawning is contagious is because of that reason, because they used to have language. So everything was by signal. And of course, the humans really evolved in a positive direction when they started working together. Everyone hunted together, ate together, and slept together. So who would have thunk it? Well, that's pretty good. I'm pretty impressed. I didn't. Does, I'm, how old is Harper? He's almost eight. He's a pretty bright kid. And he, he, and he knows the word contagious. I don't think I knew that word until I was about 18. Everybody yeah, knows go. that word now, Joe. That's true. Or, uh, he, he, Alex. He, he's going to be a future CBC cadet, I think, boys. How about you? What did you guys learn? All right, Alex, go ahead. All right, next up, okay. Um, I was, so I was watching the documentary America, The Story of Us. We found it on Amazon Prime. It's a good one. Great. And th- we were going back through the, the measles outbreak and when it kind of took over. Did you guys know that uh, they – to help fight off the disease, people who weren't infected, they put it into their open wounds so that their body could start fighting it off early. And that's how they started to find the turn with the measles outbreak. Savage. So I, I did not know that, but but you do know, like, that is, that's kind of the whole point of immunization. But I thought it was what they're doing now, where they're, they're putting blood from somebody who had it and recovered to help fight the people who still have it. They were willingly putting it in people who weren't infected. They just assumed that those people were going to get infected. They put it into their open wounds so that they could fight it off so before they get, get it. So you get a flu shot, they're essentially giving you a small dose of the flu. For your body to build that. the for the for your body to basically build the antibodies and you, up. And did you know that yogurt had that same ingredient so that it basically messes your stomach up so that it can beat that's, it? That's what I had going on when I with my pick line. Hey, uh, hey guys, yeah. who is the first absolute psycho during a disease or some sort of malaria outbreak? Say, hey, I'm gonna put it in me. I think that's a good decision. That's what I thought when I'm watching it. Who's gonna sit there willingly say, "Yeah, cut me open, Doc. You have no idea what well, you're this doing." Is, this is not. This is not the fact that I was gonna bring up to, as, as part of the segment today. But um, the the guy, and I'm gonna blank on his name. The guy that uh, found and created the polio vaccine. Oh yeah. He decided not to patent it because he wanted to make sure it was readily available. So by not patenting it, everybody could make it as quickly as they could. That's why after, what wow. is it, is it 7 or 12 years when a, when a drug becomes generic, right, and then all of a sudden you see a lot of them hit the market and the prices drop because all the insurance companies say use the generic version, you know, of it. Well, the guy did that with polio, and, and had he not done that, they estimate he could have made something like $2.4 billion. Oh, that worldwide sucks. polio vaccine. He, here's what I learned. Uh, and Joe, this is more in the wildlife department up to you as um, my good buddy, uh, George Norrie, the host Coast to Coast AM. 
you know, took over for Art Bell years ago, used to work with him down uh, on the other side of the dial on, at KTRS. But George Norrie hosts Coast to Coast. And, and I, so I check out their website every now and then, coasttocoastam.com. Uh, a family farm in Wisconsin, uh, apparently one of the goats gave birth to a two-headed goat. So there is now a goat, a two-headed goat in Wisconsin that eats with both of its mouths. Wow. So, so uh, is he is is he really fat because he eats twice as much? Uh, it, it's you know it, it's still pretty new apparently. Uh, the goat was giving birth. Uh, it seemed to be a particularly difficult delivery, according to the farmer. Uh, here's the quote: I couldn't figure out what was going on at first. It took me a little bit to realize that the two heads were connected. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I mean, so there's four eyes and. Two mouths, it and is, two noses, oh, and everything. Oh yeah, you got it actually, and it's on. They've got it up on their Facebook page, but people can see some pictures of the thing being fed at, at coasttocoastam.com. But yeah, there is actually. I mean, it's really like boy, that's incredible. That poor mom, she's doing double duty, huh? Dude, it's messed. <laughs> it's it's messed up looking to be honest with you. But it's it's just a normal goat with just two heads. So, uh, it it's split. It's kind of like Siamese twins where they have to be. I don't know the, how you can separate this one though, because there's no doubt they're sharing they're sharing one cranium. Yikes. Yeah, I got one more before we have to wrap okay. up. All right. I found out Maya Moore. Do you guys know who that is? WNBA star. She was very popular yeah. in college. So she removed herself from playing in the WNBA. She removed herself from being in two Olympics so that she could help a Missouri inmate be released from prison yes. who was wrongly convicted. Yes. That's incredible. It's a great story. Wow. Jeremy Irons was his name, and, and she, she basically backed out. She won four consecutive championships with the Minnesota Lynx, and she was a – I think she was up for playing in the Olympics, and she backed out so that she could get Jeremy Irons out of prison in Missouri. Just an awesome story. Boy. And it's something that just great completely story. passed by people. Yeah, well, the only, it's thing, the only person positive. greater than that was the guy about polio. That's true. <laughs> polio man still Could wins. you imagine somebody today in today's world Okay. Let's say they find a coronavirus vaccine. They're the ones that don't put a patent on it, and they just say, everybody make it as quickly as you could, and we're not going to worry about the dollar side of it. First I mean, off, you're a hero, but second of off, that's uh, that's going to suck down the road. Yeah, that'd be— <laughs> When you find nah, out all that nah, money. Nah, see, I mean, at, at some point in time, humanity has to be humanity. Would you rather be the hero, or would you rather be the billionaire? Uh, I'd rather be the hero. Joe? Hero. Oh, hero, for sure. Yeah. Yep. Now, if I could manage sure. both, I I'm all say, for it. Can I find a way to do both? But Hero's the <laughs> one important one. If I can one. be both, I'll, I'll go that route. All right, that's uh, this week's edition of What Have We Learned During the COVID-19 Quarantine, where we're stuck finding out different weird things we did not know before. When we come back, we're getting right back into the world of hockey. Hour number two of This Week in Hockey comes your way here in just a moment on the home of your St. Louis Blues, 101 ESPN. Hour number two of This Week in Hockey. Welcome back in here on your home for the St. Louis Blues 101 ESPN along with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario as we have a lot more fun items to get into this hour. We are going to hear from Scott Perunovich this hour, the Hobie Baker Award winner and the new St. Louis Blues defenseman who was signed earlier, well, a couple of weeks ago, last week, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. So we had a couple of people on talking about that. And we're also going to have round three of Chris Kerber versus Joe Vitale as the series is tied at one win apiece. We're going to keep this bad boy rolling. And we'll hear a little bit from Jordan Bennington as he had a group conversation with John Hamm and Joe Buck. So lots more to get into. That was awesome. It was. 
And I, I thought Joe asked an incredible question, which doesn't surprise me to Jordan, about the are you nervous comment yeah. in the regular season. And it led to a great conversation, which I want to get you and Joe's thoughts on. So perfect. we're going to get into all of that. But first things first, did you, Curbs, and you, Joe, see the group conversation that Craig Berube, along with his former teammates Rick Tockett and Rod Brindamore had the other day on Zoom? Yes, former teammates that are all head coaches now in the National Hockey League. Tockett with the Arizona Coyotes, Brindamore with the Carolina Hurricanes. Well, and the, and the conversation was brought up. Go ahead, Joe. No, I was saying tough, tough teammates too, guys. I mean, if you're a player on any of those guys' teams, whatever he, they say, you're listening to. Well, and first of all, they had a lot of entertaining conversations, one of them making fun of Rod the Bot and his workout issues, and Rick Tockett told a great story about a rollerblading fluff, which you totally have to go check out. But the one that really caught me when I was listening through it was Craig Berube as the host asked all three why they decided they wanted to be head coaches after playing in the NHL. Here's Craig Berube's response. You know, how are you going to stay in the game when you're done playing? I, I really wanted to stay in the game. And for me, be, just being in that locker room was the most important thing to me. Um, so being a coach is the best way to stay in that locker room, be around be around the guys and just be involved in that, that sort of situation. So that was something that I didn't want, want to go away. I wanted to continue to do that and to be a coach. You know, you're there every day in the battle with the guys and, and your coaching staff. And that's, that's for me, is the best part of the game. And just having relationships that I have with all these guys and being around them every day, I don't want to lose that. So, you know, what better way to do that is to stay in coaching and be a coach and be in that locker room. And, uh, you know, again, I, I, I watch a lot of hockey, too. And I really, you know, I didn't, um, you know, I studied the game a lot as a player. I watched a lot of it. And, and, you know, learned as I went along and learned from guys like Rick Tockett and Rod Brindamore, learned from Dale Hunters, these guys, learned the game and watched them play. And, you know, now I'm here coaching. And Curbs, I, I think that's why we, we see success from these three coaches. When you think of Brindamore's status in Carolina and Tockett in Arizona and then Berube in St. Louis, these were locker room guys. These were guys that understood that the, 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 on the ice aspect of the game, but more so the off the ice aspect of the game. And all three of these guys have such good relationships with their team. Well, I think another important point to note here is the second stint aspect of the coaching tree here. So while this is Rod Brindamore's first time as a head coach in the National Hockey League, when they were looking for a head coach, they were they went out and they were looking for somebody with coaching experience. Now, in the end, they decided to go with Rod Brindamore, but he had the coaching experience in the NHL from an assistant standpoint. The other two guys are in their second stints. You know, Rick Tockett has been a head coach before, and and I think there's lessons to be learned in that first stint and, and how you go. When I've talked to Craig Berube about this, he said he really started to feel comfortable trusting his gut as a head coach when he was the head coach with the Chicago Wolves, which had already meant that he had been the head coach in Philadelphia's minor league organization. He'd already been a head coach with the Philadelphia Flyers. And and I think those are huge learning experience for those guys. Now, I think the jury's out still on Rick Tockett um, in, in terms of uh, how it'll go there in Arizona a little bit. Um, but but I think Rod Brindamore has steered that franchise in Carolina pretty well. However, keep this in mind, as much success as they had last year, there was a team that was struggling to make the playoffs again this year, you know, and, and which just seems to be the way it goes in Carolina. Neither of those other two guys were given the fortunate aspect of the same quality team that Craig Berube stepped into. Having said that, Joe, 
There's one thing about Craig Berube that fascinates me, and I've I've been a fan of coaches in all sports for, for a long time now. What either creates the opportunity for longevity as a coach or the success of the coach? And to me, it simply comes down to can you communicate the game and relate to the players? Do you know when they need a day off? Do you know when they need humor? Do you know when they... You know, when, when the guy needs a hug versus a kick in the pants. And uh, and and the real successful coaches are the ones that somehow find a way through that simplistic communication to motivate. And I think it is something Craig Berube has. I, I do too, Curbs. And I think that at the beginning of that relationship between the coach and the player, it starts with respect. If the players don't respect this guy or whoever their coach is, it's a bad start and it's a tough start. I mean, I know John Hines, you know, he never played in the national hockey league. It took him a long time in the minors and a lot of winning and a lot of success to kind of build up that repertoire where he was officially getting a lot of trust from his players, but guys who don't play in the league at all, uh, look at a Peter DeBoer. You know, he didn't play in the league. I think maybe some uh, minor games, but nothing in the National Hockey League level. It took him a long time. He's coached a long time to earn the respect that he has right now as a head coach for the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Craig Berube, um, you're looking at Craig Berube, looking at Rick Tockett, Rod Brindamore. These guys are having success because of that relationship, but that relationship starts with the respect from these players. These are guys that went the distance. They won cups. They were fighters as well as goal scorers. I mean, look at Rick Tockett. Um, you know, then he is the assistant coach in Pittsburgh. They win a cup. Rod Brindamore is having great success in Carolina. Now Craig Berube on his second stint here with the Blues. He's doing well, although he, he did very well in Philly when he took over for Peter Laviolette after Peter Laviolette got fired early in that one season. He actually took the team to the playoffs. So I think that for the communication of players, at the end of the day, you got to step over the boards and you got to make a decision. Is this team worth fighting for? And is this this goofball guy behind me who's barking at me, is he worth fighting for? And that's a decision every player, whether they consciously know they're making it or uh, subcon- or unconsciously making it, however you say that, it, it's a decision that's made. And I think when you have respect of a coach from all the games they have, for all the fights, and to know that the battle you guys are going in right now, I've been there, I experienced it. When, when players have that, there's just that respect. And when you have that, that's where the relationship begins and ends. And then all the credit to the coaches out there who have that respect. And then they know how to communicate it in simple terms. Cause we're hockey guys. We're not the smartest group in the world. He keeps it simple. He keeps it basic. The, the, the vocabulary is not over the top. He doesn't have 18 chalkboards. Like a lot of coaches do in the national hockey league. He's got two boards. This is the game plan. Bullet, bullet, bullet. Let's go get them. You know, first off, for anybody that says, well, you had to play to be a really good coach uh, in the NHL, uh, maybe the greatest coach in the history of the NHL did not play in, in the NHL, and that's Scotty Bowman. So I think everybody ought to keep that part in mind. And and this guy, you know, his longevity and how he won through so many different decades and won championships speaks to the thing that I was talking about where I'm just fascinated how it's successful. Pete DeBoer is an interesting example. After a long time coaching in the Ontario Hockey League with the Kitchener Rangers, he breaks in with the Florida Panthers, you know, and, and didn't have a lot of success those first few years, of course, but nobody has had success really with Florida, you know, except for Doug McLean that, that one year. I mean, that's a team that's only made the playoffs five times in 25 years. Then he goes right to the Devils, loses in the finals, couldn't get them back to the playoffs. 
you know, then goes ends up in his first year with San Jose, goes to the finals. Then they make the playoffs the next three years. But but even in the coming out of the year when they went to the conference final into game six, he gets fired the following year. And yep. there's just something about how a coach communicates and, and, and goes to it. Now, listen, part of this is just the National Hockey League. You are not a coach for long in, in the in the National Hockey League without a shred of doubt. But the difference in a, in a coach being able to get the players to play for him the way we've seen this team play for Craig Berube, it, it's really something, something else. I mean, remember, with Ken Hitchcock here, they ended up playing almost in spite of Ken Hitchcock, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? You'd have players skating by the bench telling the coach to shut up. And that came from having the leaders in the room that could do that with Backus and Steve Ott and Alexander Steen, who they were the ones that were kind of like the middleman between Hitch and the rest of the players. Listen, there was a bus ride after the team landed. I think they played in Buffalo. And there was a bus ride in Pittsburgh late night after the game of Buffalo to the hotel. And the team is playing the Blank You song, you know, in the back of the bus. And they start singing it at the top of their lungs. And you know, you know that at this point in time, Ken Hitchcock knows. He goes, I got this team. Well, for, like, they were basically playing this. They were serenading their head coach, right? And he could care less because he knew they were together fighting for one cause. And if he was the cause they were fighting together against, so be it. But he knew they had a team, and that's the year that the team went to the conference final. Were they adding Hitch in before they no, finished blank no, you? No, oh, no, that's where no. I thought you were going no, with but this. But I'm telling you. But I'm, no. <laughs> now, but, but I'm telling you, like, like Ken Hitchcock motivated in a very different way than Craig Berube yep. is motivated. It was the Herb Brooks method. Okay, but, and Ken Hitchcock is, is going to go into the Hall of Fame as one of the greatest NHL coaches. I mean, he, what, third all-time in wins? Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, again, it's fascinating to, to kind of see to kind of see how that all how that all plays together. It's but, a Herb Brooks mentality, right? Yeah, I, that's why, that's why I, I love reading books on coaches, books by coaches, yeah. books written about coaches. Uh, because I, I think it actually plays roles in, in actual walks of life. Well, well, speaking of coaches, it was a week ago that we talked to Scott Sandlin, who is the head coach of uh, the University of Minnesota, Duluth. Uh, and uh, he, of course, was the head coach that not only Justin Falk played for, but Scott Perunovich played for. And over this past weekend, like we mentioned during the first part of the show, right off the top, Scott Perunovich was awarded the Hobie Baker Award as college hockey's top player, second player drafted by the St. Louis Blues to have won the Hobie Baker Award. Tony Herkus was the other one. But uh, Joe Vitale earlier today had a chance to catch up with Scott Perunovich himself, and we'll bring you that Welcome back right in this, this week in Hockey. hockey Alex Ferrario, ESPN. Chris Kerber, and Joe Vitale with you. Earlier today, Joey had the chance to sit down and catch up with Scott Perunovich, the new St. Louis Blues defenseman, the Hobie Baker Award winner on a video chat that is up on the St. Louis Blues website right now. Here's the conversation that Joe and Scott had earlier today. Scott, for first thing and foremost, for all the fans out there, is it Perunovich? Yeah, Peru, Perunovich. Perunovich. Okay, is that German? Yeah, yeah. No, Serbian. Serbian. Okay, so is your, yeah. is your dad from Serbia? Grandpa, grandma? Uh, my grandfather is, I believe. Grandfather. And, and maybe my grandma, yeah, and then they came here, actually. All right, and you're 21 years old, so you recently just turned 21, or when's your birthday? August, August 18th. August 18th, you're two days short. I'm August 20th, so you're Leo, though. Yeah, yeah, I'm Leo. 
you're in good company. My old uh, teammate, Sidney Crosby, he's a Leo as well. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah 8 7. I'm just going to throw that out there that I play with. <laughs> hey, uh, Scott, you, um, you got the flannel on and you got a goose picture in the background. <laughs> I know you're from Minnesota. You, you have to be an outdoorsman. I am a huge outdoorsman. Yeah, I've, I've been at Side Lake, which is my cabin in northern Minnesota for the past few weeks. And I'm outside every day. And if you saw what I was wearing, you'd be laughing. I got a big <laughs> hat on, big winter hats. I got big winter gloves. So I've just been working outside. So Marco Scandella, uh, your future former defenseman, if things go right on his end as well, he was cutting down an old dead tree the other day. Is that kind of what you do? Is that how you stay in shape? You just walk the land and cut down trees and build fires or what? That's funny, actually. Yeah, that's exactly what we do. My dad has, he just got a new chainsaw yesterday because the other two broke because we got some big trees. So we just spend cutting trees, loading them up, getting a wood pile and just kind of having fires. Um, down by the water, I got, I bought a golf net from Walmart and a little turf to to kind of golf off off of just in the rough and the fairway, just kind of stay busy. So yeah, just really doing anything. Scott, could you build your own fire without like matches or a light or anything? <laughs> Absolutely. No, actually, I was just talking about this. I had a buddy come out here who's an even bigger outdoorsman than I am. And uh, I probably used half a gallon of gas just to get <laughs> the fire going. And it still wasn't good. So no, I definitely need a lighter and a ton of gasoline because we had that debate one one day in the locker room where i said there's no way not not one person in this room can start a fire without a source and half the team you believe it or not half the team was like i could easily start a fire just get some wood and start rubbing it together i was like no absolutely not it's hard no no way no yeah. way you could not you could not do that <laughs> unless you were in boy scouts for years so you're an outdoorsman if I gave you 20 days out in the woods, do you think you could survive in 20 days? Actually, a really good question because I just talked to my dad about this too. Um, my dad could easily do it. He could be in Alaska for months, I think. I think I could – I don't know. I, I Probably two days. Two days? Oh, two geez. days, three days without a fire. I can't start a fire without anything. If I had some – if I had a fire – I'm not a good fisherman. I don't hunt. That's not, I'm just a Ooh, big shoot. outdoors guy. Like, yeah, so I don't, I can't get natural resources like that. Gotcha. So the wild berries would totally get you. Hey, uh, let's yeah. talk a little hockey. Let's talk a little hockey, Scott. Uh, first of all, congratulations. Two things, really. I mean, as crazy as this world is right now, uh, you've been keeping very busy. Uh, March 27th. You agreed to terms here with the St. Louis Blues. You were a second rounder back in 2018. Uh, a great pickup by Kika Chuck. He brags about you all the time. He was you're, you're apparently his big finding. But um, you, you got drafted in 2018. You signed in March 20th. Not signed, but you agreed to terms on March 27th. So that kept you busy. And then uh, two days ago, uh, not a big deal. You win the Hobie Baker for the most outstanding college hockey player in the national in the country, rather. Uh, so first of all, congratulations. And uh, has all that sunk in yet? Thank you. Um, you know, it's the Hobie Baker still hasn't really set in yet. Um, it takes stuff takes a few days for me. Um, some of the national championships I didn't first one didn't sink in until about a week or two later. So um, last night or when it happened, uh, we were at the cabin and 
I had my family and friends around us and just to be able to see um, their excitement in their faces and you know how happy and proud they were was um, truly special and I'll remember it forever. Now the Hobie Baker, how did it go this year? I mean, usually it's a big ceremony. I believe it's in Minneapolis. Uh, was it a phone call? How did you find out that you won this award? Um, so I didn't fully know until actually the envelope too. So Bucci does a great job with everything college hockey and just kind of getting everything set up. So, um, you know, I was talking to the other finalists, Swayman and Kawaguchi, and, you know, it was definitely confusing for all of us. We didn't never, no one's ever been through this. Um, so we just kind of stay through it together. And then um, just when the card, when you read the name, that's kind of when everyone knew. So it was super excited and just, uh, you know, a great time for everyone. You decided to agree to terms with the St. Louis Blues. You just finished your junior season. Um, you win the Hobie Baker, multiple national championships. Was that, did that lead to your decision? Of course, you're, you're ready to play, but did the fact that you've already accomplished everything in college, including this great award as a Hobie Baker, did that kind of lead to your decision that I think it's maybe time to turn pro? Um, I guess just my confidence level, kind of just how I felt uh, this year in college hockey compared to last year. Um, I didn't feel as confident um, after the season last year, um, just my, my body wise and, you know, jumping into the next level, you know, it's, you know, it's a tough league and everyone's fighting for spots. So um, I didn't feel that I was quite ready to make the, make the leap. So I came back another year um, with an incredible teammates, incredible coaching. Um, and, you know, I definitely think uh, I made the right decision. What are you going to miss most about college and foregoing your senior year? The thing I miss most is honestly probably uh, my teammates for sure. Um, my roommates, um, I live in a house this year. I lived in a house with seven guys and, you know, we got super close um, and made a ton of memories. So I think just the memories and, you know, everything that happens in college is definitely going to be something that I miss. You know, what you're going to miss, which I missed uh, after I left college, Scott, was the two games a week schedule that you do when you're in the university. Are you prepared for the 82-game grind plus playoffs? I don't know. I've never really um, played that many games, I guess. USHL was the most. I don't even know how, we, how many we play there. Maybe it's maybe 60, but yeah. It's Between definitely, 60 and 70, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a different you know, completely different, different mentality between college going from 40 games, you know, to doubling that. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the transition. What was it like going back to not officially signing yet because of all the kind of craziness going on in the world and whether we're going to have a season or not, but agreeing to term. So you will be a blue at some point, you're not going back to school. What was that feeling like when you came to that decision, both sides agreed and it's really the next step probably to your ultimate goal, every hockey player's ultimate goal, which is eventually playing the National Hockey League. Yeah, I think, um, you know, when we both came to terms together, it was a great feeling. Um, you know, I actually, I actually called Doug Armstrong after, um, you know, we talked on the phone kind of as a group. And I called him and I said, this is where I want to be. Um, I feel like I'm in good hands with you. And, you know, it was just a good phone call between both of us. And I think both, both sides are very excited for the future. We talked to Kika Chuck a couple weeks ago, and he, like I said, just brags about you, and you're his big find. Um, super proud. Uh, one of the things he said that really stuck out when he was talking about your style of play, uh, which not, I guess it shouldn't surprise me, because, but you do play in college, but he said, um, 
Scott doesn't take no crap from nobody is what he said, quote unquote. Um, physicality, the roughness to your game. Uh, do you feel that this is going to complement you joining the St. Louis Blues, which their MO can be that physical grinded out style of hockey? Yeah, I like to think that, um, you know, I'm not going to be the be the guy that gets kind of pushed around out there. And I remember in the early in the year, I got I got cheap shot and I took a retaliatory penalty when uh, when Keith was there and I talked to him after the game. And I was like and I told him it was a stupid penalty. And he said he loved it. He said, stick up for yourself. So, so having him tell me that just made me kind of, you know, always want to stick up for myself even more. So that's how he was. And that's how I want to be. Well, lesson number one, don't ever apologize to Kika Chuck for taking a penalty. I'm sure you learned that the hard way then. <laughs> yeah, I did for sure. <laughs> Another big name, uh, Brett Hall. I don't know if you saw on Instagram or Twitter, but uh, the St. Louis Blues put out a video of Brett Hall, Brett Hall welcoming you to the organization. Uh, again, a lot of a lot of moments just being thrown at you very short, shortly, but as a Hall of Famer and a St. Louis icon, idol, I mean, he just embodies St. Louis Blues hockey. What is that like? to have someone of that stature just want to welcome you with so much excitement to come to St. Louis. It's, it's amazing. I would have never thought of any of this. Um, my grandma was actually out here and she was just replaying his video over and over again. I don't know if her hearing's not good enough and she can't hear it the first <laughs> time or if she's just that excited. So, um, but yeah, everyone's excited. And, um, you know, my family appreciates him reaching out and saying those videos too, along with everyone else. Scott, who do you, I guess, try to mimic your game after? Is there someone in the NHL right now? Because for Blues fans and for anyone who's ne never seen you play before, uh, I'm not going to make you brag about yourself. But, you know, is there someone you try to um, copy your game after? I think growing up within the last few years, kind of in my, you know, my early years in college hockey, is a Tory Krug type of guy. Um, yeah. Recently, though, um, it's been one of my good friends, Quinn Hughes, that I definitely – try and watch and focus on when I'm watching games or like when they were playing during the year. Um, you know, he's a good friend and I think he's a good person to try and mimic your game after too. So I try and uh, reach out for him um, for tips as much as I can. And you have some tight already uh, ties here with the blues, you know, Justin Falk, a former uh, UMD Bulldog as well. Uh, is there anyone else that you know on this team? Has anyone's reached out, uh, welcome you to the organization? Oh, uh, yeah. Jaden Schwartz uh, reached out. Um, we have mutual friend with Antisenzo who's always in St. Louis, too. So I'm sure he put us in, in touch. Uh, but just a few other guys, too. But it's just nice having these guys um, reach out to you when, you know, they don't have to at all. They're just doing that out of the kindness of their heart. So, Scott, who is kind of a generic question, but I guess up to this point in your life, who has had the biggest impact on your life? My dad has probably had the biggest impact for sure. Just growing up, I've always been a daddy's boy. So I'd wait for him um, to get home from work to go, you know, play ping pong in the garage or go play catch outside. So, you know, he was tired after a long day, but he would always find a little bit extra energy to play with me outside growing up. So um, I owe a lot to him. You said he could survive in the Alaska wilderness for like two months. Is there anything during out throughout this quarantine of being together up in the woods? Is there anything you would like to learn from your dad? Uh, next two three weeks uh, I don't know there's if you if you knew my dad all my friends everyone around here knows my dad um, he doesn't get cold he'll be 20 degrees out and he'll be outside in shorts and no shirt um, <laughs> I'm trying to think he's just really good with anything like outside or inside so he's he was teaching me um, 
actually yesterday he taught me how to sharpen the blades of a chainsaw. So I was using a little machine to sharpen the blades of that. So he's, I haven't used the chainsaw yet. He doesn't want me using it. He just got a big one, but um, basically just, I just follow him around outside and just watch to see what he does and, and learn a few things. Sharpen that saw, you know, it was Abraham Lincoln, Scott. I'm sure you knew about this from college, but he said, if I had six hours to chop down a tree, he spent the first five sharpening it. So there you go. Yeah, for sure. So he teaches me stuff all the time. So it's great to have him out here. See, you were paying attention in history class. Scott, the last thing uh, I have for you, I was sitting around. I realized that I got to do this interview with you today. I'm with my kids. I have four. I'm doing this homeschooling thing, which, which is crazy. Um, I told them I was talking to the new blue and they were like, you know, what are you going to ask them? I said, I don't know. What, what should I ask them? So they started just throwing out questions at me. So if you don't mind, I'm going to give you some of the All questions. Right. Yeah. Let's see what they got. want to ask you first one, simple, uh, favorite color of the rainbow, Scott. Blue. Blue. I like Is that it. part of the rainbow. Yeah. Well, sure. no, Biv. red, orange, yellow, uh, green, blue. Yeah. Blue, ivory, yeah. and violet. Yeah. Right. Blue. You're All good right. to go. Roy G. Biv. Okay, um, favorite cereal? Cocoa Pebbles. Cocoa Pebbles. What kind of milk? Just normal 2%. Fairlight. 2%. 2%. Yeah. Got to slurp the milk down too, don't you? Yeah. You have a pet dragon. What would you name it? This is from my son. Ooh. Maybe Puck. Puck. My brother has a black dog, and he named it Milo, and I wanted to try and switch it up to Puck. But So probably yeah. Puck. I like that. Sounds good. You have to be careful how you say that, but that's a good name. Yeah. <laughs> um, from my daughter, do you have a girlfriend? I do. You do? Nice. I do. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, Scott, what makes you happy? Being outside, being outdoors, being at my cabin. My cabin is probably my favorite place to be in the entire world. So I'm. Mm. it's tough to get me to leave here once I'm out here. So. Plus with your girlfriend. Yeah. So she was, she was up here. She went home for Easter, but for sure. My girlfriend. Sure. Too, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> just want to make that clear. Um, Scott, if you had a garden, what's the one vegetable you would have to have in your garden? Asparagus. I think. Is that, oh, is that a vegetable? Nice. Yeah. I'm a big asparagus guy. Asparagus, broccoli. It's, it's, it's nice too, because it's starting to kind of come around in the next few weeks. It's, it's yeah. typically a spring vegetable. So you have it early. Yeah. Yeah. But I still, I'm a, I'm a pretty good cook now. So that's one of my main ingredients all the time. Asparagus, lots of iron in asparagus. Uh, Scott, last thing I have for you, we really appreciate uh, your time. A lot of blues fans and a lot of people around the national hockey are excited to see you. Um, do you have any final message to all the blues fans out there watching? Um, I guess one thing is I see, you know, a lot of these fans are reaching out um, and sending kind words and, um, you know, it means a lot, and I appreciate it a ton. Um, it's tough to get back to everyone, but um, it means a lot to me. Well, that's Scott Perunovich, uh, 2018 second rounder, just agreed to terms with the St. Louis Blues, and he is the Hobie Baker winner as the best college hockey player uh, in the country. Scott, thanks so much for your time. I'm really looking forward to meeting you in person. Uh, enjoy the woods, enjoy the cold, and learn something from your father. Thanks. Appreciate it. Have a good one, guys. Once again, that's new Blues defenseman Scott Perunovich with Joe Vitale. It's this week in hockey. When we come back, get ready, folks. It's round three. Curbs versus Joey, another entertaining subject. We'll see who pulls out victorious next here on This Week in Hockey on your home for the St. Louis Blues 101 ESPN. Time now for our Curbs vs. Joey segment, the highly anticipated competition between the voice of the Blues and the color voice of the Blues, 
Curbs and Joey. Welcome anybody back into the show. That's because I was so excited to get people started. I was going to get there, Chris Kerber. You must be excited as well. Coachable moments, Joe Vitale. You got to be a sponge, Alex. What did we talk about? Guys, you want a coachable performance. Are you sponge worthy? No, I'm not sponge worthy. Why don't you pull out a victory with this one so we can stay uh, no more tied between these two. And, and it is this week in hockey before I disappoint Chris Kerber any more. Are you saying no, you're not sponge worthy or you don't think you're sponge worthy? Um, do you even know what I'm talking no, about? No, I'm not. I'm moving forward. But do you know what I'm talking is, about? No. You, okay. All right. There's people laughing is it a, at you is right it a, now I was right. going to say, is it a welcome back Cotter reference here or something? No, no, no. No. Seinfeld reference. Is, oh, is yeah. there anything worse than an old, like, wet sponge that's been just sitting on your sink for, like, two weeks? That's the grossest smell. Is there anything worse? Yeah, I can think of a <laughs> I was lot of say, things worse than that. <laughs> I things that were worse than that. Dog Unfair vomit. question right now. Dog vomit is, to me, the grossest really? substance on the face of the planet. Over human vomit. Uh, vomit could be total, but... Yeah, I'd yeah, put I feces think... up there before I'd put dog vomit up there too. No, because feces you could always use a shovel. Vomit's just one of those things you just got to get in. If and it's get. in a carpet, you can't shovel uh, it. All right, see feces more. and vomit conversation. So here's what the stipulations are. Okay, what are we doing here, Alex? It's it's. Have you welcomed everybody back into I just the show did. yet? Oh, did Stop you? distracting did me. Are we live? Okay. Stop distracting me here. It's Curb versus Joey round three. Both are tied, one win apiece, and tonight it's sports movies. I'm going to play oh, a quote nice. from right. a sports film, and you have to guess the movie. Okay. There's going to oh, be oosh. 10 total. We're going to start because we started with Curbs last week. We're going to start with Joey I think this that's week. Fair. I think that's fair. Joe, are okay. you ready? I am ready, man. Let's do it. All right. Here's number one for Joe Vitale. I'm stupid. You're smart. I was wrong. You were right. You're the best. I'm the worst. Uh, you're very good looking. I'm not attractive. All right. As long as you're willing to admit that. Joe Vitale, what's your answer? Come on, boys. Happy Gilmore. Scoop of vanilla, scoop of chocolate. Stop wasting my time. (laughs) (laughs) That was an easy one. It's going to get harder. All right, Curbs, you are next. Here's number two. Are you sure that this is completely necessary? Uh, Necessary? Is it necessary for me to drink my own urine? (laughs) Probably not. No. But I do it anyway because it's sterile and I like the taste. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Joe I, have, knows. Uh, I have no idea. Okay. Oh, now, dodgeball. It's dodgeball. Okay. I was going right. to ask, do you guys want me to give you hints? But if we're just no, going no, straight, no, okay. No, just, just do it. Okay, so that is <laughs> one for Joe and zero for Curbs. Here is number three for Joe Vitale. And remember what got you here. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. And most important, don't get caught up thinking about winning or losing this game. If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. Joe Vitale? You know what, boys? I didn't see this movie, but that sounds like Gene Hackman, so I'm going to go with Hoosiers. You've never seen Hoosiers, huh? Really? I've never seen it, but that's, I've seen a lot of Jim uh, movies. That's it's worth voice. it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's good. See, this is just sometimes the luck of the draft. I'd be 2-0 and if I was in Joe Vitale's shoes right now. Yeah, well, they, they get difficult, I yeah. promise you. This one's, uh, this one's a tough one, but uh, I hope you can guess this one, Curbs. Because, look, you get a fat guy spike, and then you get a fat guy dance. I don't remember that from the playbook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Maybe we should put it in. <laughs> I had a lot of voices in there for I you. I couldn't even hear that thing. So it was, oh, I got it. So it was John Madden and Pat Summerall. And then, as you heard at the end, it was Gene Hackman. Uh, the replacements? Ding, ding, ding. That is the replacements. Nice. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm trying to go deeper. I couldn't, I couldn't actually hear yeah, them well, speaking. The audio that, so, from the so, film so, yeah. wasn't the best. All right, gotcha. Joe, it is, uh, you're up two to one. Here's your next one. Yeah. He just did that steroid free. What steroids? Something that makes your pee-pee smaller. There must be steroids in macaroni. Whoa, okay. <laughs> what the hell is that? Is that... Is that David Spade? Sounded like David yep. Spade. Okay. Oh, I got a great David Spade for you guys story about shoe checking. We got to fit in at some point. Oh, jeez. David Spade in a sport. Oh, it's got to be the one with uh, Adam Sandler then, right? That's the only David Spade sport movie. I can't think of the name of it. It's not Bad Boys. It's They're in prison, aren't they? Aren't they in prison? They're playing football game or something? No, that's the longest yard. That's the longest yard. Oh, okay. I'm lost. I got nothing. Okay, so that was Bench Warmers. David Spade. You never saw Uh, it, really? No. Never saw it. That's your sense of humor, too, Curbs. Okay. This is a. All right, so it's 2 1. I got a chance to tie. 2 1. You got a chance to tie. All right. Here we go. Here's the next one. Okay. Okay. I want you to do to Casey what Captain Insano does to the bad guy. (laughs) Go. Okay, that sounded like Adam Sandler right there at the very end. Um, Captain Insano. Captain Insano shows no mercy. This is such a good oh, movie. That's 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 got to be the Water Boy. That's Water Boy. Yeah, that's, 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 I thought you'd I, get I that with the voice. I do like the Water Boy. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. All right, two two. That's some high high quality H two O. Captain Insano shows no mercy. Oh, that's so Well, it's also oh, great when he tries to tackle him and he's just hugging him and he's like, I think he's trying to make love to you. This game's the devil. <laughs> All right, 2-2. Two, two. Joe, next up for you, buddy. I'm not yeah, much for giving inspirational addresses. Oh. I'd just like to point out. Wait, stop it there. Night. Stop it there. Yeah. Stop it there. You got it there? Should I, um, should you just hand me the trophy? Or We're tied 2-2. Two, two. Don't get too far ahead of yourself there. <laughs> It's got to be Major League. Yeah, it's Major League. The finish last. The local press seems to think we'd save everyone a lot of time and trouble if we just went out and shot Don't ever do it again. I was going to use the uh, just a bit outside, but Curbs uses that in his freaking broadcast, so that would have been a gimme. So, all right. Just a bit outside. Three, two, Joe up. Curbs, next up. Okay. Pass off. Think you can win on talent alone? Oh, come on. Gentlemen, you don't wow. have enough okay. talent All to right. win on talent alone. Let's see. Again. I might need a miracle on this one. Um, um, oh. Enough with the dad yeah, jokes. Miracle there. Yeah, okay. Enough with the dad jokes. I did that one in interest of time. What's the next All one? All right. So, hey, Joe, it's about time I had an this easy is one it. anyway. It's 3-3. Three, three. Now, yeah. I will say these three are tough. And the, these have sequels to them. So you have to get the correct film. Okay. So there's okay. a hint. Okay. Joe. Yep, uh, you're up. Go at him, go at him, go at him. Good, good, go at him. Come on, get in. Oh. Come on, make it look real. Act hurt. I am hurt. Good, good. Now say it again. Take the fall. Act hurt. 
get indignant. One more time. Take the fall. Act hurt. Get indignant. Good. That is Mighty Ducks 1 when Gordon Bombay was trying to get his team to take dives so they would at least yeah. get penalties to try to hopefully win because they I, were so bad. I Easy. couldn't I couldn't find the audio. The one I wanted to use was when he tells uh, what's-his-face to keep swinging. They feel the breeze in the stands. Oh, keep swinging, Charlie. Maybe you'll maybe <laughs> give the fans a cold. Yep. All right. Curbs, you need this to keep it tied and okay. to go to the tiebreaker. All right. Ready? I see. Now you see nothing. Creed would have caved in the whole side of your face. Oh. Now forget it, kid. You got the heart. But you ain't got the tools no more. Now forget it. Is that right? That is right. Uh, So I I have to pick which Rocky movie this is. How do you know it's Rocky? You know that? This is Rocky. How do you know it's Rocky? I know that. This is, yeah. I know Uh, that. uh, Which one of the 17 Rocky movies was this? (laughs) Uh, Could have been the Apollo. That's I was thinking Rocky Four because he said, uh, but you know you still got the tools. So I'll go Rocky Four. That is incorrect. It's Rocky Two. Did no, you hear him two. say Creed would have had you on the side of the face? Rocky Two. No, I didn't hear any that part. true any okay. true Rocky fan would know that. Didn't didn't that guy die in two or three? So how could it be four curves? Yeah, Mick died in three. Okay. Come on, Curbs. Huh. How do you not Come know on, that? Curbs. All right. How do you not know that? How do you know Mick didn't so, die? So, so right. I had so two more. Three. It's four three. I had two more. Do we want to do two more? Well, you said we were going yeah. to ten, so let's go. Well, that was ten. That's eight. Four plus four would be eight. No, but Joe got one wrong, and you got two wrong. It's four three. Oh, so we've done ten. So of we've them. done we're ten. Not playing. All right. Yeah, we have okay. two more. Yeah, do two more. Okay. Yeah. So next one. Did, did they not teach a simple addition at MICDS curves? Yeah, uh, easy there, Joe. Easy <laughs> it's there. Nice to not be the butt easy. end of the joke. <laughs> All right. So Joe, okay, you can you go. can you can close it out right here. Okay. Hey, brother. No offense, but without work. I don't think you get past a beat up old timer like me. Get past you? <laughs> I will go past you, through you, over you, under you, around you. As a matter of fact, I'll spin you like a top, twist you in a pretzel, eat your lunch, steal your girl, and kick your dog at the same time. Get past you. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, I I want to say White Man Can't Jump, but there was no sequel. I, I don't know. I'm lost on that one. Oh, I guess I should have said there's no more sequels. Th- th- those were the two that had sequels with it. Oh, sequels are over? Are yeah. White Man Can't Jump? No, it's not. It's Glory Road. Yeah, I haven't oh, seen that one. Josh, that. Oh, you never saw that one? No. That's a good one. It's a Disney Plus one, so you can check it out. Hmm. Based on a true story. All right, Curbs. All right, go here for it the is. tie. Going for the tie. I'll ask you one last time to leave the gym before Coach I Coach Carter. You. Before you what? Got it early. Yeah, that's just Samuel L. Jackson right there. So what do we do? What do we do here? (laughs) I don't know. I had 12, so technically Joe won, and then we just kept going. Well, you didn't technically win if you keep it going. Okay, here. I Give us one more, and we got to say ding. Okay. You want to buzz in on that one? One more in the ding? Okay, hold on. You got to say ding. I got to say ding. Blur out the answer. All right, right, here we go. Okay, here we go. Are you crying? There's no crying. Ding. 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 Chris Kerber wins. Okay, 
Time out. <laughs> oh, I said ding. <laughs> Ryder, will you back that up? I literally said ding a split second before no. curves. And before I had a chance to say I said ding first, he just blurts out the answer. That's not how this works. No, he said not ding. true. I he, said ding first. It wasn't even close. Yeah, he said ding. All right, curves, if you could tell me that little boy, that one of the, one of the women's sons is always around the dugout's name, I'll yeah. forgive you and you can win. All right, hang on a minute. That would have been uh, – I'll forgive you and you're, you can win. Uh, you guys are making up your own damn rules on this game uh, right now. That was um, uh, crap. The crying little kid. <laughs> big old, big old kid And then he came back. He he came back uh, at the end because his mom had died. Um, Jeez. No, it, it, when, yeah. when, at the reunion, you know, his 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 mom had passed, and she's the one that was crying. Um, ah, I'm blanking. I got it. Uh, um, I don't remember. All right. Well, S- still well. Still Angel. well. So yeah, we got right. we, we got one more. Do we not want to end it on this? Even though I well, I, okay, but there's a chance you could go for a tie. I thought I thought Joe set the rules and I nailed it. I don't know why the game isn't over. <laughs> that's true. He did. Curve, I said ding, ding first. For, that's literally like okay. You got the recording. Can we Jeopardy? go back and pull the recording on this? Yeah, we'll back and writer. Help me out here. I mean, literally in Jeopardy, I buzzed in and someone just blurted out the answer. Okay, it thanks, takes too I'll much take time it. to rewind, okay, t- so we're gonna do what, it. Joe, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a quick break because we want to get to the yeah. final segment of the show. Good. When we do, we'll replay it for you. Okay, show you nice. Nice. All right, nice. here we go. One more segment of this week in hockey. Why? Because we're competitive pain in the butts. <laughs> Coming up in a moment on 101 ESPN. Final time here on This Week in Hockey, along with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale. I am Alex Ferrario, and we continue over from previous segment because these two are competitive animals. We need to know who won the tiebreaker. IBM presents You Make the Call. <laughs> there it is. Was it Curves who said ding before Joe, or does Joe have a case? Let's hear it back. Are you crying? There's no crying. Ding. Ding. There's I'll leave no it alone. Chris Kerber wins. D- Joe? Not fair, boys. Not fair. <laughs> what do you mean not <laughs> fair? I forgot. Let's, let's listen to that one more time. I forgot this thing had replay. One more time, Joe. There's no crying. Ding. 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 No. It, <laughs> it wasn't even close. I hey, could have said ding hey, in between. It wasn't even close. I thought <laughs> hey, you were going to say you forgot, you forgot how to say ding. <laughs> That is that was so bad. I'm kind of like scared for myself that I actually believe I I thought I was <laughs> like dang. I feel like I feel terrible for my wife. Like the next time I say, "Honey, I'm right, you're wrong," I may have to really think about it because that is like that was really dramatic. Don't you wish tape was just available in life when you have arguments oh, with family members? No, so, okay, no, listen, absolutely do not. not. Ever do that, dude. <laughs> Do not ever record your wife oh, no. to play back to her how nuts she sounds. Oh, yeah, that's terrible. Like, like don't do it, yeah. Alex. That's, no, I don't need that yeah, advice. Don't ever do that. <laughs> so, Curbs yeah. wins round three of Curbs versus Joey. We'll continue it. I mean, that's, that's just what I was told. We'll right? continue it next week. At the beginning of the show, we teased uh, the conversation that Jordan Bennington had with Joe Buck and John Hamm. It's on the St. Louis Blues website. It's a two-parter. If you got time, of course you have time because you're quarantined to to check it out but they had an interesting conversation that goes back to the jordan bennington and do i look nervous comment so here's that audio yeah i like to keep it interesting i would say um you know i did the whole you know my early call-ups you come up you, you say the right thing and and you know people get tired of hearing that and um you know to me it's kind of it gets kind of boring and sometimes you have to sometimes you have to just stick to the code and and then i think when you find opportunities um 
you can't do it all the time. You don't want to overdo it. But I think when the opportunity is there, you, you kind of have fun with it. And I think it provides uh, content for, you know, the viewers and, uh, you know, the people to get behind you, whether they like you or not. People hate it and um, and have stuff to say about it. So it makes it fun either way. And uh, But, yeah, I have fun with it. And I like to keep uh, keep them on their toes too, you know, and make sure they're – because sometimes they ask a question that's already been said or, or just a question that's like a one-word answers would suffice and keep them accountable and um you know it's a full circle full circle yeah i did you that catch your attention john Hale? yeah but I, because also not only that but you can you can be as as wise ass and as funny and as and as jokey as you want but if you don't if you're not if you don't have the ability to back it up then you're all you are is built bulletin board material so that was my favorite thing about him. He could say uh, he, he, repeatedly, uh, do I look nervous? And, and, and then go out and throw up a, an O the next day. And like, I guess not, man. Yeah. You know, come back was... after, after, after the first time in the playoffs, the first time I think in your NHL career in game three of, of getting run off and then come out the next day and just put up a wall. You're like, there you go. Yeah. Like, again, like that's, that was that team, that whole run. Have a bad game. It's gone. It's gone the second yeah. the buzzer rings. And the next day is like, you're going to have a whole fresh day of hell of dealing with four lines that are out to murder and a goalie that's a stone cold killer. And so it was just, that was the best part about it. And it was just, but, it was just amazing to watch. But let's be honest, in this day and age, like I see, I, I, I talk about that with Jordan, but I see Rory McIlroy do it in golf. I see a few guys do it in the different sports. But if you're, if you want to be that guy, you're going to have to answer for it. And, and I, I think it takes some guts. I think it takes, you know, for for somebody like you, Jordan, to to be that fresh on the scene and be that way, let me as a viewer and a fan know this guy's not scared. And but you also have to be able to have people like me ask you about it a year after the fact, or you know, whether it's even for the next three weeks, you gotta you gotta answer for it. It's it's too bad because I feel like people can't really be themselves. Everybody's got to be that that boring yeah. quote machine. And you see it around your locker room all all, every night. Yeah, it's tough because I think, you know, most players have a a pretty funny personality and um, we're taught as hockey players to stay, you know, quiet, keep your head down, stay humble, keep working, which is, they're all good things, but it's also like have some fun with it and um, don't be afraid to be bold and put yourself out there and have to back it up rather than just doing the same thing over and over again. It's like, keep it interesting. And I think I can go into, you know, many aspects of life, right? So it's kind of the way I try to live is to be bold. And So, guys, I found it so interesting when, when Joe Buck and John Hamm kind of dove into that after Bennington explained it, talking about, hey, look, you can say whatever you want post game, but you have to have the ability to back it up. And that's something that Bennington showed throughout that playoff. And the other thing that uh, he said, and I encourage everybody to go back and watch this. Yeah. I, I thought it was just it was just a great hockey discussion and, and life discussion with uh, with Joe, with John, and with Jordan. And, and my favorite part is, frankly, Jordan Bennington asking John about being on Curb Your Enthusiasm and how that goes there. But I, um, Jordan Bennington understands that when he – that. Look, sometimes he just gets bored with the press conferences and you got to add a little life to it. But I like how he actually holds the accountable, uh, the media accountable too, Joe. No, I do too, Curbs. He, he's a funny kid. I mean, I remember before Game 7, 
in Boston. I was hardly talking to anyone in that locker room after the morning skate, especially the goaltender, especially the starting goaltender. I don't even go near them. I don't ever want to get in their kitchen, or at least even just say hi. Uh, I crossed paths with Jordan Bennington the morning before game seven, and he kind of looked at me. I looked at him. I kind of gave him a head nod, and he goes, hey, handsome, looking pretty good today. And it was just like, you know, he's just so relaxed. He just he, He's not thinking about the game. You, know, you can never get in his kitchen. Uh, the one other aspect, the one part I loved about that interview, by the way, was when Jordan Bennington, speaking of throwing it back at Joe Buck, he asked him if he ever heard of a Peloton and kind of a little stab at yeah. Joe Buck. Yeah. It never works out. That was hilarious. That was good. And then John Hamm, of course, changing his background throughout the entire interview. It's a gr- <laughs> it's a classic, so make sure you check it out at stlouisblues.com. Yeah, and you can check out all the videos at stlouisblues.com. The video chat with uh, Joe Vitale and Scott Perunovich from earlier today, the interview we did with Tom Stillman yeah. as well. Uh, and so uh, a great content put out by our Blue Note Productions crew uh, down with the St. Louis Blues, Trevor Nickerson's group. So, again, all, all the news and notes at stlouisblues.com. And that is going to wrap it up for us tonight here on This Week in Hockey. A big thank you to the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, and to Joe Vitale and to Mike Ryder for helping us out tonight. Make sure you stick around tomorrow night because we have the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show. Chris Kerber talks with Red Berenson. Then Thursday and Friday night, it's Play Gloria Week 3 as we have Game 2 between the Blues and Winnipeg Jets and then Game 5 between the Blues and Jets. For Curbs and Joey, I'm Alex Ferrario. Have a great night here on your home for the St. Louis Blues 101 ESPN.